Hello and welcome to the Talking Indonesia podcast. I'm Dave McRae from the University of Melbourne's Asia Institute and today's topic is universal healthcare and in particular Indonesia's national health insurance scheme known by its Indonesian acronym JKN. This national insurance scheme currently covers around 160 million people, just under two-thirds of the population, out of which the government is paying the premiums for just over 100 million poor or near-poor participants. Since it commenced operations at the beginning of 2014, JKN has run at a significant deficit, however, estimated around $600 million in 2015. To understand JKN, its achievements and weaknesses, and the policy options facing the Indonesian government, I spoke to two of Indonesia's leading health policy experts, Professor Haspula Tabrani, head of the Center for Health Economics and Policy Studies at the University of Indonesia, and Professor Laksono Trisnantoru, Professor of Health Policy and Administration in the Faculty of Medicine at Gajamada University. Both have been prominent voices in the policy debate over JKN. Professor Haspula additionally was one of the architects of national health insurance in Indonesia. To kick things off, I asked Professor Haspula what he saw as the key achievements of JKN over its first two years of operations. Well, the first achievement is the pooling of people uh, is now about 165 million people already registered and enrolled in the national health insurance. It is the largest uh, pool of in the national health insurance in the world. And the second achievement is that we use at the same time prospective payment system to all healthcare providers across the country. So it is changing uh, the perspective of medical practice in hospital and clinics, where now uh, all hospital clinics, doctors, working with the budget constraint rather than setting their own price. Now they're becoming price takers rather than uh, price makers. So that's a great achievement. Uh, because in many countries it's been very difficult to control costs, healthcare costs, because the healthcare providers have the ability to dictate price. Now in Indonesia, the national insurance dictates the price. So that's great achievement for us. So on that first achievement, that you now have a pool of 165 million people, the largest in the world, have we seen an improvement in health indicators or an increase in utilization of health services as a result? Uh, the most obvious uh, indicators can be observed in the last two years is the use of high-cost uh, medicine, high-cost medical technology, for example. Currently, there are about 22,000 people using dialysis that absorb second uh, after the cardiovascular disease. In the past, many of those people who suffer from kidney failure, they might pass away because they cannot afford. Now they can afford. And therefore, if you observe in many hospitals across Indonesia, the center for dialysis is growing. The second one that can be observed in the Center for uh, Cardiovascular Disease, for example. Before we implemented the national insurance, many people could not afford. But now you can see uh, the centers growing. 
similarly with the center of the cancer treatment, this is also growing. So we can see that the survival rate of those who are suffering very serious disease increasing very well. The access is very good. And as the you can see in Indonesia, the long queues to get these services. Yeah, but in terms of data on mortality, health status, if you measure with the maternal mortality, we don't have the data yet because it takes time to impact the outcome like that. We need to have a survey to ensure that the mortality, maternal mortality that's important indicator can be reduced. Could I take you back to the second achievement you mentioned, uh, that through this prospective payment system, Indonesia is setting the prices that healthcare providers are working with, uh, thereby controlling health costs. And I mean, you set that against the quite significant deficits we've seen, about $600 million or 6 trillion rupiah. What do you think is driving that deficit? Well, the deficit, in my view, been predicted in advance because we at the center include uh, engage in the calculation of what the premiums or contribution needed to ensure adequacy. This is what we need for the insurance principle. Insurance principle requires adequacy, adequacy of contribution or premium to meet to to pay the benefit. So we already calculated that we need that much money for per person. However, the problem was in the government decision. The government reduced the, the amount that we propose or many actuaries propose. Several example, in 2013, the National Social Security Council proposed the amount of contribution for the low income that the government subsidies needed, 27 which is about $2 plus a little bit. But the government only pay 9000 So that government pay only is about 65% of the calculated, estimated amount of contribution. Certainly, it will suffer from deficit. The, the law required that the government should make up if there is the deficit. So, for the first implementation where the government uh, official, high rank official, were not sure whether that's really the amount of money they needed or not needed, so they prefer, okay, I pay this money. By law, if there is deficit, we will make it. So they take this uh, conservative way. Instead of paying the necessary amount that uh, been calculated, so they pay lower but they said, if you suffer from deficit, we will pay anyway. We turn now to our other guest, Professor Laksono Trisnantoro from Gajamada University. He too sees access to healthcare as a big early achievement of JKN, but argues that such access has not been equitable. One reason has been that JKN does not cover out-of-pocket costs associated with using health services. So I think we can see that, that many studies... Uh, uh, have found that uh, the cost of medical care or health services is not only hospital costs. Uh, the out-of-pocket costs, uh, like it's, for example, transportation costs, accommodation costs for the family, food, yes, time costs, uh, and these are the costs that may be uh, hampering or becoming like problems for the poor 
to get medical services. And this is one of the big issue when we talk about or discuss about the equity of uh, this health insurance. Uh, I mean, could you tell us a little bit more about that? Because obviously, although the uh, JKN started before the current president, Joko Widodo, was elected in late 2014, as part of his election campaign, he had this idea of a healthy Indonesia card uh, that would extend free or affordable health care to the poor. Are we in fact not seeing the main benefits of the National Health Insurance Scheme flowing to the poor and near poor so far? Uh, the poor and near poor in the city, yes, it's good. But as we talk to the remote area of Indonesia, and we can uh, look at the Indonesian map that we are from uh, Aceh to Papua, it covers like from uh, Madrid to Moscow. It's so big and it is an uh, archipelago. Okay, so when we look at uh, the problem before, TGKN uh, is already there about the distributions of hospitals and also medical doctors, especially the specialists and subspecialists. Okay, we, we don't have a good distribution and it's very, very bad. For example, in, in Jakarta, there are about 450 pediatricians, uh, almost 500 pediatricians, but just uh, one hour flying to Bengkulu, it's almost uh, only f- uh, five or six pediatricians, okay, Bengkulu province. So it, it's a big, big uh, uh, variety. And this is becoming problems when we look at uh, how uh, the TKN works, that um, the doctors and the hospitals, they are claimed for their services from the BGS. So that means uh, if we have a, a province that has a very good health system compared to the poor province that have very limited uh, uh, health system, then the money will flow to the big province. So basically, more of the JKN money flows to provinces like Jakarta that already have a lot of healthcare providers. Uh, Has this regional disparity become a controversy in Indonesia, that money is flowing unevenly to provinces based on the health facilities that they have? Yes, especially when we look at also the class or the types of the hospital. We have the class A, B, C, and D. And most of the class A and class B is in Java. Uh, And they have the uh, sophisticated medical services. uh, And then they can shallow the BPJS budget. BPJS Kasahatan is the body that manages the national insurance scheme, JKN. Especially the hospital budget because almost 75% uh, the budget uh, used for hospital services, okay? Uh, this is a very important issue. Uh, and the last uh, four years between 2003 to, uh, to now, it, if we look at the statistics, uh, the new hospital is constructed mostly in Java, not in, in the outer side of Java. So uh, investment for hospital in Java is becoming a, a big uh, like opportunity for many investors yeah, and they develop also a link with PPGS. Yeah. So could you explain that? You're saying people developing hospitals are developing links with the body that manages the National Health Insurance Scheme? Yes, and some of them and many of them are private hospitals and they can contract uh, have contact with PPGS. And so PPGS is like a, a good uh, opportunity. Uh, for hospital investment, uh, for some investors uh, in health, yeah. and the construction of new hospitals uh, happen mostly in, in Java. 
in the last uh, three or four years. Yeah. So uh, basically, you're saying that BPJS is driving a proliferation of private hospitals in Java, but not in other provinces. Yes, and that is the point that uh, I would like to make. That as we look look at the BPJS way of doing things, uh, like they have like a single pool system, single pool system. So the budget, uh, the subsidy budget for the pool from the government, the PPI, you know PPI? The people for who the government is paying their premiums because they're poor or near poor. Yes. It's pulled in one uh, big uh, pool uh, and then mixed together with uh, the other participants, groups like uh, government employees or uh, workers and also the informal or the non-workers uh, groups. Uh, and this is the problem because actually when we look at the claim ratio, uh, the informal sector, people who are not in the payroll, they become participants, uh, mostly the sick or the high-risk group. Okay, There is an adverse selection. And the premium is so incredibly cheap for them because some of them, they are rich, not poor people. So only about, uh, it was... Uh, 59,000 uh, rupiah is only about 5 US dollar, now increase uh, 80,000 rupiah, about 7 US dollar a month. It's very, very cheap. Uh, and then they, they consume a very, very big claim. So this group, the claim ratio is over 500%. And the, the pool, the PPI ratio is below 100%. It's healthy uh, rates about 80, 85%. Yeah. So, I mean, if I, if I understand what you're saying, you've identified two main problems with the national health insurance scheme as it's operating at the moment. Uh, the first is this regional disparity that if people live in provinces where there aren't many healthcare facilities, they can't really get the same benefits out of JKNs as what people living in Java would get. Uh, the second is that affluent participants in the scheme because they don't face barriers to healthcare and there are no limits on the benefits they can get for catastrophic illnesses are in fact using much a much higher proportion of the funds relative to their contribution as what the poor are doing. What would you recommend the government do to address those two weaknesses? How, how can they redesign the scheme? Yes, uh, I think uh, the last recommendation, but we will also develop more recommendations, uh, that we have to increase the premium from for the, the rates based on the actuarial studies. Yeah, uh, we have been two years in the system, so we have the data enough for calculating how much uh, actually the premium for the, the rates. So actually, this is like there should be uh, fences or compartments in the single pool of PBGS. Okay, so we try to keep the budget for the poor, the subsidized premium, goes to the poor. Because the budget also, they have to have compensation program for the poor in the remote area to send medical doctors there to have more equipment and, and many things. Yeah. So when we look at this compartment, then we can see that we have to increase the premium for the for the middle and the uh, better off people, and then also we have to make some limitations of or the upper limit of the payment. For for example, for a year maybe we have to put sailing up to, say, 200 million rupiah, for example, 300 million rupiah. Uh, after that, the families should pay by 
uh, itself or using other health insurance combined with other insurance. But it is only for the rich, for the middle class and the rich. For for the poor, still, yes, usually in, in, in many, many studies, they cannot uh, afford to to stay in the hospital for months because, again, back to the issue of the only hospital cost that is paid by the system. So, but for the rich, there should be a limitation of the benefit. Going back to our other guest on this podcast, Professor Hasbullah Tabrani, I put Professor Laksono's analysis to him regarding the deficit, that Laksono thought that the claim ratio for those having premiums paid by the government because they are poor or near poor was less than 100%. So basically, they were getting less back from claims than what the government was putting in. Whereas the more affluent participants who are paying their own premium are getting much more back than they are paying because of unlimited payouts for catastrophic illnesses, meaning the level of premiums they are paying is especially inadequate. Um, well, the contribution for the high incomes, yes, inadequate, because uh, if you look at the contribution ceiling, the ceiling of uh, um, income for the, to which the contribution is calculated, which is now set as 8,008 8 million rupiah, which is about $650 a month, certainly limit the subsidy between the rich to the poor, which is against the principle of social insurance, which is the, the principle of social insurance everywhere in Australia, in the U.S., in Europe, same, which is the rich subsidize the poor by setting contribution percentage of the income. In our case, it's 5%. So that's true. But when, when Palazzo mentioning that the poor claim ratio is much lower, I'm afraid that it is not true because after I check with the BPJS, the administrator, when they provide information about the claim ratio. They calculate the number of claims that they receive to the total number of people who are supposed to get contribution from the government, which is, for example, now it's about 92 million people. At that time, 80, 86 million. However, when I check, really, I check how many card that you distribute it and you ensure that received by the people who entitle the card. Because without card, people cannot use it, the benefit, right? So even last month, yeah, last month when we had discussion in the parliament, uh, the director of BPJ said, now it's already reaching 90%. Last year, it was less than 60%. So when you calculate, for example, the number of claims, 50 million, and you divide it by the number of people on paper, which is 90 million, of course the claim ratio become very low. But in reality, the, card, the number of cards distributed at the time may be only 50 million. So can you imagine the, 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 the disparity? When, when you calculate based on the the number that's supposed to be, which is 90 million, 50 to 90 is about 50%. But if calculate based on the actual card that's been distributed, only 50 million, 
then 100%. So we get bias estimation about double. Okay, so you think the claim ratio for those poor and near poor participants who have their premiums paid for by the government will go up uh, well above 100% uh, once all of them receive their cards? That's right. When all the health cards are distributed. I did go back to Laksono Trisnan Toro to ask him about Professor Haspula's explanation of this claim rate. His answer was that their varying interpretations show the need for JKN's managing body, BPJS Kasahatan, to be more transparent. Professor Haspula's interpretation, though, suggests higher utilisation of JKN in the future, as more people receive their cards, and also, Haspula said, as more people are enticed to join JKN as more private hospitals enter into contracts with the scheme. I asked him whether this meant the government needed to do more to fix JKN's budgetary problems, or whether it was simply natural that JKN would run at a deficit for some time. Well, certainly the governments of Jokowi currently are facing, is facing a difficult problem in allocating funds, because they want to prioritize constructing infrastructure, roads, ports, and other transportation to ensure economic growth. However, we have a solution that we are now discussing with the parliament, with the government, which is the raising uh, cigarette excise. This is the potential uh, revenue that the government could raise in order to improve the JKN. It's been practiced in Philippines, for example, where 80% of the excise uh, cigarette is allocated for the national health insurance. So we are moving to the same direction. We calculate there is a big potential for that one. Currently, our cigarette price in Indonesia is very low. It's about $1 per pack. Okay, very low. Yeah, very low. The affordability is very high. And actually, the real price decreasing in the last 10 years. But with, with the only 42% of the excise rate, the government already collects 11 billion US dollars last year. Compared to the total claim of the JKN last year was only $5 billion. So if we raise cigarette 20% and increase the excise rate by 50% of the currently 42%, then we can still mobilize another 3 to 4 billion US dollars which is enough to, to, to make up this current deficit without bothering current allocation for the infrastructure. Do you think it would be controversial for the government to raise cigarette excise like that to fund the health insurance scheme? Certainly controversial because the cigarette industry certainly will reject that idea because they are afraid of the losing market. Although it is not the case all over the world, the demand for cigarette is inelastic. Even you increase the price, people will buy anyway. They are addicted. So that's the, the scenario. But we need to convince them. This is what we at the center is working. Uh, we are working on this to convince the government, convince the parliament. Uh, look, we have the obligation. We know we predict that the claim ratio of JKN will be increased. We need to mobilize resources and there is some potential resources. Professor Hasbulla, in fact, said that if Indonesia raised cigarette excise appropriately, it could even fund the premiums of all informal sector workers in JKN.
I put this idea of using cigarette excise to our other guest, Laksono Trisnantoro. Yes, I think this is a good idea, a good idea, but we have to be very careful of uh, using this uh, proposal. One, whether it is politically acceptable by the government, because you know that our government at the moment is short of, of cash to finance them uh, in infrastructure. Uh, okay, so the syntax is maybe also used for the infrastructure. Yeah. And then the second issue is, is ethically. Some of the argument for this is, yes, uh, people who smoke uh, will finance their own problem. But also we have to look at the con of this view that that means the medical care will depend on smoking habits. <laughs> that is a problem. Yeah. And then also we have to look at again, that to the issue, who are the smokers? So if they are the poor, yeah, back to the issue of PBI. PBI being the poor and near poor whose premiums the government pays. And they don't have access. And the non-smokers, they are at risk. And then you can see that the tax uh, from the poor, many studies mentioned that the poor smoke heavily. Yeah. Okay, back to the issue of the sick, the poor, they will support uh, maybe the healthy person uh, using the syntax scheme. So I think we have to be very careful in this to analysis of the syntax. One for the political acceptability from the government or willingness of the government, and the second for the ethical of the problem raised from who are the smokers and whether we will depend on the, this syntax. Is good data available in Indonesia on who is smoking? Oh, yeah, yes, yes, the data. Yes. <clears throat> and most they are also the poor one. So it could have an effect essentially again of distorting that underlying principle of the rich subsidizing the poor. Yeah, that is, that's um, my point. And that's why actually I uh, propose, my proposal is to raise the premium for the rate as high as possible. Because actually they have the income to pay for medical insurance. Uh, why they pay so limited, so small? I mean, could you argue that the rich are already paying a larger share of tax, uh, which funds the premiums for the PBI participants, the ones who are who are having their premium paid by the government? Is there justification to also raise their premium for JKN very high, do you think? I think we have to look at the tax structure in Indonesia, and our tax structure is not supported by a strong income tax by individual. It is more from the corporate tax, yeah. And if you look at the tax income, uh, it's very small from individual, and we are not progressive. Uh, the rest on the maximum pay only around 34% of the income for tax. So we are not uh, welfare state like in Sweden or in Western Europe that they exist, uh, they impose a very uh, high tax income for the rich. On this idea of putting up premiums for the rich as high as possible, Recall that earlier in the podcast, Professor Laksono recommended moving away from pooling all premiums into a single pool and instead introducing compartments or fences within the JKN funding pool to ensure that government funds meant for the poor were not misdirected to affluent participants. Going back now to Professor Haspula Tabrani from the University of Indonesia, I asked him what he thought of this idea of compartments. Well, compounding is uh, the concept of commercial insurance. The national insurance concept is the, based on the uh, cost subsidies uh, from the rich to the poor, from the low risk to the high risk, from the young to the, uh, the old. 
in in all countries this national insurance system normally pooling the fund under one uh, one pool if you segregate it comparing different ways it is not national insurance it is not social insurance it is commercial insurance the the way we set contribution based on percentage percentage of income of salary is already representing variation of the ability to pay across province across uh, regions uh, because our uh, salary level and cost of medical care also live it far across this system and we set also price the price to hospital uh, adjusted with that uh, level so if we look at the the total design it's already accommodated differential in pricing and differential in income across groups but we shouldn't they shouldn't divide it from uh, one compartment or one group to another group it is the con- no, it is not the concept of national insurance. Okay, so I might be uh, not explaining his proposal fully. As I understand it, uh, he felt that at present the rich are not subsidising the poor, that in fact subsidies intended for the poor are going to the rich. I don't reject the idea that uh, this inclusion error is uh, using by the rich. Everywhere when you cut off property, cut off subsidising, even if you have in, in Australia or in the U.S. program subsidizing, for example, education level at the university subsidizing, the richer might use more than the poorer. So, of course, there is some, some error. We will we'll never get peripheritized. But it is not the large problem, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. We already conducted some studies. We reviewed the claims of the BPJS, and we also look at the utilization rate across income groups. Yes, still there are variation. Higher income have a little bit higher utilization rate than the poorer one because of the other problem, which is transportation, distance to the house. I create some barrier for them. Uh, certainly at this time, equity is not achieved yet. It is, equity is the, one of the goals of the JKM, but we are aware that to achieve the goal might need 10, 20 years from now. I should note, when I asked Professor Laksono about this point of compartments not being appropriate in a national insurance setting, Professor Laksono countered that JKN was not a pure social insurance scheme because the rich who are paying their own premiums are getting higher benefits out of the scheme than the participants who the government is paying the premiums of. But to continue on with Professor Hasbulla, given that he had outlined ways that he felt the government could raise money to cover the deficit, I asked whether after two years of operations he felt any really significant problems had emerged with JKN, for which the government needed to intervene, change design or introduce reforms to address. Well, yes, at this time, there are a huge variation on the supply side, the doctors, the hospital. But it is not because of the implementation of JKN. It was the condition that already happening before when we, we had the market mechanism. The, the market mechanism created attractive condition in the big cities. Doctors, hospitals, public and private created in the big cities. 
where the in a small city, small district, there is there was no ability to pay. So doctors and hospitals were not attracted to provide the to sell their services there. But now, after the JKN, somebody pay, which is the government and some people from the cities also contributing to the people in the small district. Then we can observe now, for example, the Siloam Group, this private enterprise, in hospital, are constructing many hospitals in small cities. Because now they see, even in small city, people are poor, but this JKN pay them. So there is no reason not to uh, offer their services there. So and therefore uh, we will, I'm, I'm very sure we will see in the next five to ten years there will be redistribution of the supply side to the, the small cities. Does that require government intervention or that will happen just through a market mechanism? Well, I think, yes, the, it's required. And then the, I go the second one. The government intervention at this time needed to set incentive. Say, for example, they should set the price in small districts, in a hospital, small district, higher than in the, in the big cities. So they, similarly, they pay capitation payment to general primary care doctors higher in the small cities, small districts, than in the big cities. By doing that, the government provides stimulus, incentive to doctors and healthcare providers to provide services in small cities, small districts. So this is the government need to reform in terms of the payment system. So here, Professor Hasbulla is making quite a different point to Professor Laksono. Both see JKN's current policy settings driving a redistribution of health facilities in Indonesia. But where Hasbulla sees facilities spreading to smaller cities, Laksono spoke of JKN driving an increasing concentration of hospitals in Java earlier in the podcast. So going back to Professor Laksono now, I asked him what the government should do to address regional disparities within the national health insurance scheme. Yes, this is another complexity. Again, the, the point that uh, when we started the scheme two years ago, and maybe before 10 years ago, we, we started under the condition that the supply side is not well distributed. And the facilities, the infrastructure of medical services and health system should be financed by the government, either the central or the provincial or district government. Yeah. But in the last four years, the, the facts say that there's not, not so much uh, activities in this kind of infrastructure development. And then the second thing in the supply set is the availability of medical doctors and uh, health workers. And this is not easy because uh, actually for the medical specialists, we have a very, very acute shortage of our medical specialists and the subspecialists. Even for Java, no. There is a shortage of medical uh, specialists and subspecialists. Uh, so you can see that medical faculty in Indonesia, only 14 out of about 75 that can train residency or medical specialists. So the production is so low. Uh, so it is becoming uh, like uh, another complication that how to make the distribution of medical specialists across the provinces. So that's why this year uh, the government will issue a new regulations on compulsory work of the medical specialists for one or two years in the remote area for five major specializations. 
But for the subspecialists, still we are, we are very, very lag behind. Would there be an argument to have different premiums in different parts of the country based on what health facilities were available? Yeah, and then furthermore, we have to also to have like a premium tariff is set differently between, say, Java and Outland of Java. We cannot make the same premium 80,000 for people in Java or Yogyakarta compared to Kupang in NTT because it is different. So geographically, we have to set different premium. And this is very tricky and very complicated uh, action or program. But I think we have to do like this. Otherwise, we will uh, let the tax money goes to the maybe wrong recipient. On this idea of different premiums in different parts of the country, our other guest, Professor Haspula Tabrani, pointed out that there is already some variation built into JKN, because in the case of formal sector workers, their premiums are calculated as a percentage of their salary. Well, if you, as I said before, if you look at the, uh, the notion of the premium, which is 5% of the salary, and the salary differ across countries, it is automatically already different, because much higher people who have higher income in big cities like Jakarta, Surabaya, and poorer province normally set lower salary levels. So when we charge them 5%, certainly, automatically, those who are in the lower salary pay lower amount of money. So that's already automatic in the, in the system. And I guess looking forward over the remaining three and a half years of Joko Widodo's term, how do you see JKN developing over that period? What, what changes are we likely to see? First, I think the BPJS, the uh, administrator of JKN, should improve quality of services to the JKN member in order to attract formal sector employees. Because currently, most formal sector employees, especially middle class and above, don't trust the quality of JKN. If they continue this distrust, then even though it is mandatory to contribute, but then there will be a lot of noises. So the main, the main task is to improve quality or perceived quality of that in order to raise our compliance to contribute and in order also to raise attractiveness of private hospital to provide care to the members. Because most of the middle class and above don't trust the public hospital system, don't trust the public healthcare, primary healthcare. So we have to uh, invite and attract more private sectors and paying them with a reasonable price, competitive market price in the next three and a half years uh, to attract currently it's about almost 100 million people who are not in the system yet. Yeah, I think we can, we can achieve that. Finally, to round out the podcast, I asked Professor Laksono Trisnantoro for a judgment on this problem of inequity in the national health insurance scheme that he has highlighted. Whether it is likely to improve over the next few years or will only get worse over time. Stressing that equity would only be achieved by design, not by chance, Professor Laksono outlined the complexity of the challenge. It is not a matter of the increasing the finance of the for the uh, health insurance, but also we have to think how the medical education, how the 
specialist distribution, how the quality of medical services, how the balance between the big uh, teaching hospital and the small hospitals uh, across region, how the medical doctors income, their lives uh, in the, the remote. In the future, using the BTS, we have to make a good design or a reform, a good reform for achieving a better equity. If we don't do this, like, like what's happening at the moment, uh, in the last two years, the compensation policy as one of the equity tools is not yet used by the BTS. Because we assume that equity will automatically come. No. The global experience uh, said that inequity always uh, persists. Yeah. So we have to have a good uh, reform or a good plan uh, using a good design for improving equity. My thanks to Professor Hasbula Tabrani from the University of Indonesia and Professor Laksono Trisnantoro from Gajamada University for sharing their insights for this podcast. Tune in again in a fortnight for the next instalment of Talking Indonesia with my co-host Ken Sathiawan. In the meantime, check out the entire Talking Indonesia podcast archive at the Indonesia at Melbourne blog or subscribe via iTunes and make sure you never miss an episode. Until next time, this has been the Talking Indonesia podcast. Bye for now.